0: Welcome to The Human Perspective, a podcast with the internationally recognized, badass disability rights activist, Judy Human. This episode, Judy interviews Jillian Mercado. Jillian is a model, actress, and activist. She's been featured in campaigns for Diesel, Nordstrom, and Tommy Hilfiger, just to name a few. She also plays Maribel on the Showtime TV series, The L Word, Generation Q. Judy and Jillian chat about her life and career, as well as her experience of being the representation she always yearned to see growing up. Enjoy their conversation, and stick around at the end of the episode for a brand new segment called Ask Judy. The Human Perspective is produced by me, Kylie Miller, and Judy Human. So let's roll up, lay down, dance around, whatever makes you feel best, and let's meet this episode's guest.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Human Perspective. Today, our guest is Jillian Mercado. One of the important aspects about her is how she's doing cutting edge work. And I really look forward for this discussion, Jillian, where you can talk to our audience so they can learn more about you. So maybe we could start off by getting a little bit of background. You and I are both from New York. Correct. Where are you from in New York?
2: I am from in between the Upper West Side and Harlem, like right at the Strip, right there is where I grew up. So like to my right is Harlem, to my left is Upper West Side just by like looking.
1: <laughs> and what did you like about living there growing up?
2: I mean, I got all the worlds put in one little area. So it was, it was so diverse and so um, entertaining. Entertainment everywhere at all times day night at any time it was great i loved it
1: was in the heights where was it done in relationship to where you grew up it
2: was done like i want to say like 10 blocks
1: right an exciting atmosphere
2: i i cried i felt like i was at home again it was it was a really beautiful um movie especially if you grew up in that area what is your disability so my disability is uh, spastic muscular dystrophy. And I mean, for me specifically, um, my tendons get really tight sometimes. Like it could get tight for anything. I could be really excited. I could be really exhausted. Any type of emotion, it triggers my body to
1: like get Like, I don't even know how to explain this. Like very tight. <laughs> what was it like growing up? With my disability. And your family and the whole environment.
2: Yeah, it's interesting enough, because growing up, I guess, you know, innocence and just not knowing what the world out there, you know, uh, feels like, or has a perspective of someone with a visible disability. But I, from what I gather, until I went to like middle school, I was just like any other kid. I just had like a walker. And, you know, other people didn't. But for me, it was just like I had Nike sneakers and my friend didn't have Nike sneakers. Like, that's how I viewed my disability growing up. My parents and my family pretty much treated myself and my two younger siblings the same. Like, I had chores. I, I went to detention if I was acting badly. We all had turns watching television. Like, it was very a simple childhood growing up until probably middle school when realization kind of kicked in because of peers, because of um, I guess going into my youth and, and asking questions and realizing that I was very different from my peers and how my teachers and adults treated me was extremely different from the kids growing up with me but not in a good way, not in a like challenging way where it would help me in the future. It was very Now, as an adult, looking back, in a very disrespectful kind of way. Were you in a regular school, with in regular classes? So I went to public school. Um, If I remember correctly, I was the only uh, person with a visible disability in each of my classes until probably
1: seventh grade. So your experience with your students who lived in the same neighborhood as you did. Right. So you were just their friends. Right, exactly.
2: We would go to the park now I'm an, in an electric wheelchair boat until I was probably in fifth grade, I would transfer to a walker in school. So that was not for me embarrassing whatsoever. I was just like, you know, me and my walker just walking into class. And I was the only one with a physical disability. And it didn't really phase me at all. The only thing I was worried about is if my crush liked me or not. Like that was like the most thing that I had in my mind. <laughs>
1: Did you say if your crush liked you? Yes. (laughs) Then tell us about your crush.
2: (laughs) I had this like cute boy that I was like crushing on in fifth grade, like really hardcore. But that was like the most problem I had. Like that was like, I went home, wrote in my little journal about him, what he did today, how many times he saw me. (laughs) Mind you, my class is like 25 kids. So like everyone knew everyone. For me, that was
1: my days, doing homework and wondering if my crush likes me or not. (laughs) I had a crush in school too. Yeah. Yeah. Those were fun things at that time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you were mentioning a few minutes ago that teachers were treating you differently. When did you realize that was happening? While they were treating you differently or later?
2: Probably more later. I was very, um, I want to say innocent in that perspective where I was very shy growing up. I didn't speak up really. I was very much a fly on the wall, you know, observing and and kind of like taking mental notes and questioning my atmosphere and the people who were around me more than like speaking out. But there was a specific moment that I will never forget that I think that that was like the pivotal moment for me where I realized, oh, they're treating me different in a bad way, not in a growing kind of way, Because when people tell me, you know, people treated me different in my mind, I think about it as a positive thing. Like, yeah, I am different and I should be treated different because yeah, I need some things that other people don't have and that's okay, you know, but there was a moment uh, where our whole class went ice skating in Walmart rink in Central Park, I remember, And we were all getting ready for this trip. I was talking to my friends. I was like, I'm so excited about attempting to ice skate. My physical therapist was gonna come with me. It was all like arranged. I was just like, so excited, just like hang out with my friends. And if I didn't ice skate, it was still just the experience of being with my friends. Um, Come to the day of, and one of the teachers came up to me and she's like, hey Jillian. So there's been like a change of plans. We're not going to the ice skating anymore, and I'm like, oh, that really sucks. I like got really sad about it. But you know, the point is, I'm still be with my friends. Um, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> everyone else went to the ice skating rink, but myself. They took me to watch a movie at the AMC theaters on 66th Street. Literally, remember the day, and everyone else got to go to
1: the ice skating rink, but me. Yeah, so that made you feel terrible did you actually go to the movies
2: yeah I had no choice oh didn't give me a choice and I remember there was this other girl who was also in a wheelchair as well I'll never forget her name Gina McNally I even thanked her like seven years ago because I was like I still I want you to know that you kind of gave me that fire oh I remember her questioning the teacher why she, she was like, why do we need to go to the movie theaters when everybody else is going to the ice skating rink? And in my mind, I couldn't understand why. I don't know. I put some excuse in my mind. I didn't really want to like question authority. In my mind, I was like, yeah, obviously you know, what's better for us. And I just was like watching her and she was like just fighting and defending herself. And it was the most empowering moment of my life at that point. And I was like, wow it is kind of messed up that we don't get to experience this with our friends or or the assumption that we can't ice skate just because we're in a wheelchair. And my whole world literally like blew up from there, watching her defend herself and questioning authority. And it was the most
1: pivotal moment for me then. So you say um, your life blew up. Maybe give us a couple of examples of what that really meant.
2: Yeah. Just standing up for yourself. I feel like from there on out, I started questioning situations and actions that teachers or, you know, someone who was older than me, who would perceive disability as like a, a trouble thing, a bad thing, something that like, we don't know any better. So they obviously know more than us kind of situation without asking. That was my moment of like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this doesn't feel right. This doesn't look right. And I do have a voice and I, and I am able to stand up for myself and they need to ask us before assuming things that, you know, probably society has gone wrong this whole time. So yeah, there was like so many incidents after that, like they assigned us like a paraprofessional without asking if we needed a paraprofessional. I started like asking, I-, I can do this. Like, you don't need to do this for me or you don't need to follow me every step of the way. Like growing up, I wasn't really allowed to go out for lunch, even though everyone in the school was allowed to
1: go out for lunch. So did your parents know these things were going on? Did you let them know?
2: I don't think, and, and this is this is not to like um, downgrade my, my parents' like, knowledge, but I don't think they understood why it was such a big deal for me. I think that it was more like just, Jillian, just go to school. Your teachers know best why they do what they do. So it was a little hard to kind of have that conversation with my parents, not because they didn't know or they couldn't understand, but it was also because they didn't know and they couldn't understand, you know? Yeah. And especially because my parents are from the Dominican Republic, culture is very different. Even there's still things now that are, are very hard to have a conversation of because of the representation that people with disabilities have in immigrant public, it's not the best. So it's like a very sit down for like three months conversation, conversation.
1: Well, I think obviously one of the important parts of your life and mine and others who, where our families come from other countries is really as we're adapting and adopting more assertive ways of presenting ourselves that can be different, you know, and it can be a little difficult for families sometimes, but I think at the end of the day, they're very proud of you, right?
2: Oh my God. They're the they fir- they're my first cheerleaders, literally. Like there's some things I'm like, mom, this is embarrassing. <laughs> She's like, I'm just so proud of you. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, everything I do, I, I do. It's my, my mom in my mind because she really was out here making the best life for me. And I will always appreciate that
1: forever. When did you start thinking about a future and a career and what your aspirations were?
2: Yeah, I bringing it back to the mom. I remember a senior year of high school where we had to pick our colleges. And it was a very hard time for me specifically because I was getting out of a mentality of like depression and, and anxiety and not knowing what to do in life. And is this world really ready for someone like myself to be out here? you know, or should I just like, just stop, you know, and not do what I want to do kind of a situation. Um, And I remember speaking to my mom about it that I had no idea. And then I was really scared because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And she was like, you know, Jillian, you have such a privilege and and an opportunity that you grew up in the United States, and you grew up specifically in New York City. um, And you have a Latin inside of you that's like a fire that will never burn. And also the opportunities for you are so much open than they were for me growing up. So my suggestion, and if this is any way to start, you know figuring out what you want to do is do whatever makes you happy. When you wake up in the morning, what's like the first thing you want to do, or what's the first like item that you want to like reach for? or like that's the kind of job that you want? That's the kind of career that you want to do. And I remember kind of like sitting with myself and and like writing things down that I like doing. And I remember even like, I was like, oh, I really like to go to their philharmonic. I really like watching like ballerina videos. I really like fashion. And then I just kept going fashion and fashion, and fashion, and fashion, and fashion. Just like listing a bunch of things that I would do unsubconsciously um, that led me up to the industry of fashion. So that's what I did. And I signed up for every single school in New York City that had any close relationship to fashion. And I remember a teacher, I'll never forget her name, she didn't say this specifically word for word, but basically she was like, you should probably go into a community college and figure out what you want to do then, because this is kind of far fetched of you applying to all fashion schools. And I remember like crying because I was like, maybe she's right. Like she has to be right. Right. I mean, I don't know. And, and I didn't really have any support as far as, you know, other teachers telling me to do it or peers for that matter, understanding why it was so crucial for me to like be happy in whatever college I went to. So I I went on my own and I was like, I'm going to prove her wrong. Of that moment in time, I did it mostly because of her and because that pissed me off so much. And I remember the day I got accepted to
1: FIT, I was just like, "Ah, (laughs)
2: love how that works.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you tell her?
2: Oh, I told her.
1: What'd she say to you? I don't remember specifically because all in my mind, I was just like, "Hmm, must feel nice to feel wrong, huh? (laughs) So right now you're doing many things. One of them is modeling. And I'm wondering, how did you get from FIT into modeling and how was your experience at FIT?
2: Oh, I mean, FIT really kind of like opened all doors for me um, because it was such a prestigious school. Everyone knew, especially in the industry, if you if you were studying at FIT, you obviously knew your stuff. You really, really had knowledge of fashion because they just don't accept anybody. And it was really kind of like a pivotal moment where I was like, oh, wow, I'm in this now because of the opportunities I got from that school and the, ch- the internships I got from that school as well. I mean, I, I woke up every day like, oh my God, I'm going to FIT and being surrounded with all these like-minded people that really love what they're doing. I still um, am friends with two people that I went to school with they're like really close friends of mine and I mean it was it was such a beautiful and kind of like refreshing moment to be surrounded with people who like encourage you to be the best helped you you know to do the best and I don't know it was just like kind of a Disneyland in my head um but from there I had the opportunity to meet the at that time the creative director of Diesel and we kind of like hit it off.
1: what is Diesel for our audience
2: Diesel, it's like a jean brand. It is an Italian jean brand, really. Mm -hmm. And so I met him at an event and we hit it off and he was the one who gave me my first modeling worldwide campaign in 2014.
1: So what did you do for Diesel?
2: I was one of 24, 26 models that got a campaign that spring, summer of 2014. It was in every billboard in every country you can think of. And it was if I'm not mistaken, I haven't really like researched this, I believe, but I believe it was the first time that they had a physical disabled model on an ad that wasn't like a charity tra- case kind of thing or something that they were forced to do. I was just a model who just happened to be in a wheelchair in a uh, fashion ad, and that was one of the first for the fashion industry.
1: Were you afraid before you said
2: yes? Heck Yeah. <laughs> Well, in my mind, my mission was to become an editor. Like, that's what I was gearing for in college. Um, That's what I was studying to do, or at least I'm getting my toes into every um, magazine that there was out there. That was my mission, to hire people like myself in covers and, and give opportunities in editorial and sharing stories, because there's so many stories that I think the community has that are just like waiting to be heard. So that was my mission for me. I understood how lack of representation was for our community very early on and I wanted to find a way to like be that boss for people. Interesting enough, life was like, mm, "Maybe you should be the one on the cover." <laughs> so, before I said yes to the campaign, I kind of really sat there and was like, is this the path that I want to go? Do I actually want to put my face out there and be that representation that I was looking for? And my friend is like, "You know what?" What could be horrible about that? Like, you never know what can happen, you know? And you can still be an editor if you want to be an editor. Like, this is not going to be the end of the world situation. So I said yes. And it was very nerve wracking, um, especially the day of shooting, because I wasn't, I mean, I've done like, you know, amateur with my friends, photo shoots, um, especially in college. But this was like the most professional setting and with the most like iconic high, high fashion photographers that everybody in the industry wants to work with. And here I am, my first job, I get them which was crazy. But after that ad came out, I very much underestimated the power it had um, with the community and with people who have never seen anyone in an ad, in a fashion ad, in a way that it was just as simple as I just happened to be in a wheelchair, who's also a model on an ad. And that's nothing more than that. That moment when I realized when I got all these messages, thank you to social media. Sometimes social media can be great. Um, I got connected to so many people around the world who just never thought that it would be possible to see it, but also to know that maybe just maybe the world has like a little, little,
1: little, little, little glimpse of hope for us in the industry. Did you find that you were doing a lot of educating for the people, the photographers, etc.? Uh...
2: not really that day. I think I was so excited and hyper that day that I didn't notice if there was moments where I was educating or not, but definitely as my career, you know, goes on, there is a lot of moments where I have to like educate. And I only say have to, because I feel like until there's like thousands of me out there doing the same thing, you know, being a model or working in the industry um, where there's more like knowledge and people understand how I am different than other models and they should, if they're going to hire me, they should know the protocols that go with us as far as like accessibility, as far as like language, as far as, you know, being respectful with the devices. Those are situations that I've definitely been confronted
1: with in my career. Do you see yourself as a role model for other disabled individuals who might be thinking about going into modeling?
2: I feel like I'm definitely, I want to say a leader, maybe in that perspective where i've been in every scenario you can think of as far as you know confrontations that probably we would get in different aspects of the career and sure if you want to call me a real model i'll I'll take it (laughs) but definitely i i have experience of being like the first one to shovel snow in a path that has been building up for a very long time
1: When did you start getting into acting?
2: Oh, you know, it's funny because I I remember going to like drama classes in high school and really loving it, but like professionally acting, it's only been since the first
1: episode of The Outward. When was that? Like two years ago. (laughs) How did that come about?
2: I question myself every day. My agent at the time um, presented the script to me and was like, hey, they're looking for someone who has a physical disability to act in this TV show, you don't have to do if you don't want to, but we just thought like, because you're in our, in our database, and you're one of our clients that may be something that you would you know, like to like venture out into. And I was just like, oh, I wonder what it is. And then I clipped it and I was like, oh my God, I know this show. <laughs> I used to watch the show when I was younger and it was kind of like fate because the character that I play on this show is my mom's name. And this particular show, she did not want me watching when I was younger because it was risky. (laughs) And also, you know, it was a very, 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 and it is a very gay show. And parents sometimes just are a little tough in that area. So I would watch it without her knowing. (laughs) So when I saw the script, I'm like, oh, I have to at least try. you know. And I also really love that they were looking for real representation. I think if anything, that really was like the golden ticket for me. Um, because as you may know, or any, anybody who's listening, a representation for the disability community in entertainment has been depressing, <laughs> has been very aggravating. And um, there's been a lot of like misleading information. And that definitely affected myself growing up, because that's the knowledge that people get if they don't know someone who has a physical disability is on television or, you know, in books and magazines. And so if you are getting fed this type of like image of somebody in a disability, you're not going to question it, obviously, you know, unless you know someone or you yourself have a disability. So it was very much of a moment. I was like, wow, I'm someone who always preaches about representation. And now I have this opportunity to venture out. Impossibly leading in this kind of a uh, uh, industry and I was like you know what I always do things once and if it if it works out works out and if it doesn't then that was not my story to tell but I did it and a month later they were like hey so you got the role and I am like what <laughs> and then from there on I took every living acting class that you could probably
1: think of to get myself a um, crash course in acting So I know that one thing you had told me was one of the difficult parts of acting was memorizing your lines. It's the worst. (laughs) But you got some good tips on how to do that. Yep.
2: It's definitely a um, case by case scenario with people. You know, it it just depends how you memorize things. Just like in general, how do you memorize things? Like for me, I'm more of a visual person than um, a reading person. So, uh, I have to like write with a pen and paper all of my lines out to memorize it. And then I have to record myself and like hear it at, like every five minutes um, to know my lines. Like, that's how I found the, my best way to memorize things. The creative side of me kind of attacks more than like the writing side
1: of me. <laughs> when looking at the L word, and they were particularly looking for a disabled person to play the character, have you found yourself? assisting them in helping to develop the character? And if so, how?
2: Yeah, so like the beautiful thing, I think, and and I am so blessed and lucky that I've had the opportunity to have my first like TV debut with people who actually like care, who love their job and care about, you know, representation in a way where it feels safe. And I feel like I'm being heard. Even before I stepped on the first day on set, I am just innately a very outspoken person as far as like if I see something that can damage either the storyline or the beautiful like lived experience of somebody with a disability, I do my best to kind of say, hey, this is not okay. You should never say this ever in your life. And also um, ask before you assume anything. Um, so I'm just very outspoken as far as you know, the world of how we're representative just as an everyday situation. Um, so I was, you know, obviously I'm very professional at my job and I do everything I can to make sure that, you know, I do my job 120%, but I also know that because there has been little to no representation in the world of media and entertainment, that there's a lot of things that they will be getting wrong as a fact, especially if they've never worked with somebody who has a physical disability. Um, and I believe if I'm not mistaken on set. It's probably the first time that they have worked with somebody in a wheelchair. I know that the L word 10 years ago had an actress who was part of hearing or deaf.
1: That was Marley Matlin.
2: Yeah, Marley. And so I know that they definitely have dealt with people or have worked with people who have disabilities, but I think it's their first time with someone who's in a wheelchair, which is a whole other like ball game. I, I'm thankful that there's a lot of communication that happens and I feel safe to like voice if I see something that could be uh, either hurtful as far as like writing goes or dangerous as far as like cables and sets and things like that go. So they're very like outspoken. If they are not sure about something that they will come to me and say, Hey, is this okay? How would you portray this? Not necessarily consulting because that needs to be compensated, but more as you know, Where you know, I I talk to the director a lot and she'll tell me, this isn't my dream. This is how I see the scene going. Is this something that you would actually like do or, you know, how can we represent this in a more authentic kind of way with someone with a wheelchair, you know, and whether that could be as simple as crossing the street, like where do we stand? You know, if I'm with in a scene with somebody who is non-disabled, how, where is there a specific side that they need to, to stand um, to the point of levels? You know, when speaking, how do we do that? How does that look in real life versus TV land, you know? So there's a lot of communication, but I never feel like I'm doing extra. And I think that's just because I choose to educate
1: every single day anyways, and this is just another day. Are there any other disabled people who are behind the camera? The behind the scenes is kind of the most like
2: queerest cast and production team I've ever seen in my entire life. But I believe that there is, I want to say three that I know of well, because it's a very huge production. So I don't know each and every person or I don't inter- interact with each and every person. But there is people who have disabilities. They're definitely
1: invisible, though.
2: And hopefully there is a, a visible somewhere in the mix. But I mean, I just haven't seen it.
1: Or some of the actors that you admire.
2: I mean, we're gonna be here for three hours. There's too many actors. Okay.
1: Are there any like one or two in particular that you admire that you that I admire? I mean, I just
2: watched The Matrix with Keanu Reeves and he is an amazing actor. I love actors that are really good at kind of portraying a role and kind of taking us there. And forgetting about that he's actually a human and he's just playing a character. Those are my favorite kind of actors where you're like, oh, wow, I almost forgot that you're a human and not this
1: character. (laughs) What are some of your aspirations for the future?
2: I mean, now that I've like dabbled in so many different parts of the industry, I kind of just want to keep that going until me being somewhere isn't a surprise until headlines remove the disabled part of the, the title. That would be great. I mean, God, I want to own properties. <laughs> I want to build a family. I mean, I don't know. Those are like my little moments that I want to do. But in career advice, for sure, I, I kind of want to like be very successful so I can use that success to talk about situations that we need to be talking about within the community. You know, I feel like policies sometimes move faster when you have a name to yourself. Um, and that's what I
1: kind of want to do. And I think you are getting a name for yourself.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm coming for those policies. I'm coming from that change because we have been screaming. I mean, you have been leading that scream for years. And, you know, sometimes doing drastic things are the only way people will listen. So this is my sort of drastic change from the inside out to see if that can help move and shake things, you know, because I always say to myself, and this is like kind of like a funny thing that I tell myself, but if I'm in a restaurant and this restaurant is not accessible to myself, whether it's like an accessibility in the bathroom or just getting in the restaurant. If I were Beyonce, that restaurant would have been shut down. (laughs) So I'm not saying I want to be like Beyonce. I don't want that kind of fame, like be that famous.
1: Why not? But why not? But why not? Don't limit yourself.
2: (laughs) But that's the kind of change that I want. I want to I want that moment to happen because I feel like it's really discouraging. And also you lose clients not being accessible to everyone.
1: And I think you represent. Disability, racial diversity, gender. And so you really, different communities can see themselves within you. And then the ultimate importance, I guess, is that, as you've been saying, it was certainly true in my development, which was decades ago, and mm-hmm. is still, unfortunately, still true, that we don't see each other enough. The fact that, you know, you and now there are a few other people who are really slowly being able to break into the industry, it's a lot of responsibility, I think, for us in trying to also make sure that what is being done is authentic and appropriately represents our visions. What are some of the things that you've been doing lately and what are some things that you're anticipating that you may be doing in the future?
2: Lately, I've been living my best life. Lately, I've been taking care of my mental health because I feel like, as you said, the responsibility is work. It's an everyday situation. It's, you know, from the moment I wake up to the moment that I sleep, I, I kind of have that uh, responsibility to be the best representation or as close to best representation to not only myself, but to my community and for people out there who are still very hesitant to give opportunities to people who have disabilities. Even if it's invisible, visible, just disabilities in general, but um, it's also very exhausting. And if you don't like look out for yourself, you will burn out very, very, very quick. So at the moment, I am giving myself a little vacay, little vacation mentally. And I just moved into this apartment that I am in right now. I've been a little like Martha Stewarting my apartment, and that's been kind of like my little sanctuary safe place moment, but I am working on a couple of things. I may be working on a little TV show. I may or may not be working on a little line and I may or may not be working on a little book.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's really good to know. (laughs) And that means that we will all have to follow what you're doing so that we know that one or more of those things and other opportunities will be coming forward.
2: Yes, I'm still working very heavily on um, an initiative project that I created, which is Black Disabled Creatives. And it's a platform that my friend and I came up with in the reintroduction of Black Lives Matter uh, moment that we had and still are having and still will forever have. But it's a platform basically where other creatives or other brands who, because I always get asked the question, oh, you know, now that we've hired you, we would love to open it up to other disabled folks. And I'm like, well, you know how you found me? There's plethora of people out there who would love an opportunity like this. So a friend of mine created this kind of platform where other creatives can know that they're not alone in this world. And they, there are other you know, disabled folks out there who are as creatives as they are, and they can feel like they're in a, in a community within themselves, but also it was mainly to get hired for jobs. Um, So that's something that I, that I'm still working on with a friend of mine and my sister um, who does all like the illustration parts of it. But, you know, that's like the mission really is just to open opportunities in the job force um, and get people paid because the rent does not pay itself. Really? (laughs) And medical expenses either.
1: (laughs) So your mother said in the guidance that you talked about earlier, when you wake up in the morning, what makes you happy? So do you feel happy most days?
2: honey it's like a roller coaster of emotions (laughs) sometimes I wake up happy sometimes I wake up like I don't know why but in general life has treated me very very well and I can't complain I have love in every direction that I can possibly like look at I'm very much of a little things kind of a person so I don't need to be gifted like expensive bags although they would be cute but I don't need to be uh, you know given jewelry or anything like that for me just like Sending love in my direction is pretty much makes me happy
1: every morning. Do you feel that through your work, you're sharing love with others?
2: Yes, I I want to say yes, because I everything I do, I do with my heart and soul. And I kind of sometimes even remove myself out of it, even though I am the one doing it. But it's really all for like my younger self not seeing myself out there. I hope that I can be that like beacon of light or guidance for someone who may feel stuck and who may not feel like they don't know what to do in life to like just do one little thing every single day. It doesn't have to be a lot, but that one thing that can get you closer to what you want or what makes you happy for that moment.
1: So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. And I'd like to end on a note of telling us something that maybe a lot of other people don't know about you in relationship to what makes you happy.
2: Oh, um, okay. I thought of two things. I Always wanted to be a NASCAR driver when I was younger.
1: (laughs) My husband loves Formula One. I mean,
2: he knows. He knows what's good. (laughs) So like anything car related, fast car situation, I'm like so there. It it was one of the video games I used to play when I was younger. Back in those days when we had computer games. (laughs) Now it's PlayStation and Xbox. (laughs) But all my computer games are all about like NASCAR and uh, car chases and anything relating to adrenaline rushing cars. So speed and strategy. Speed and strategy, um kind of like how I live my life. <laughs> and, and also, um something that maybe a lot of people don't know is that I love skiing. Oh really? Yeah. Um, a, a, another adrenaline
1: speed situation. <laughs> You go skiing at all?
2: I did ski once um, in upstate New York, and that was so fun. Um, but I haven't had the opportunity
1: to go back. They have it up in uh, Northern California.
2: Yeah, I think I'm going next month.
1: I will let you know. <laughs> I did sit skiing once. It was fun. It's
2: so fun. It's so fun.
1: Well, I want to thank you again. I look forward to staying in touch with you, and most importantly, I look forward to your career really continuing to expand and to be a real change maker. So thank you for everything you do.
2: Oh, thank you. What are you talking about? Thank you for everything that you've done and are doing. You're like the most iconic person. And I appreciate this conversation so much. And thank you for
1: everything that you do as well. You're very welcome.
0: Now it's time for Ask Judy, a segment where Judy answers questions sent in by listeners.
1: That was really a fun interview with Jillian.
0: It really was. And I have to say I was fangirling a little bit because I love the L word and I loved the behind the scenes scoop she gave us.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's great to see how she's been evolving over the years and really because of being in programs like the L word is really getting greater visibility.
0: Definitely. And that is really relating to the listener question I have for Ask Judy today. It is from at Queen Katrina, Queen spelled with a K, on Instagram. And they asked, what was the first piece of art you saw yourself reflected in? And I felt like this was really good for this episode with Jillian, because you guys talked so much about representation and Jillian being one of those people, you know, that someone might see themselves reflected in. So can you remember what might have been the first piece of art or media that you saw yourself reflected in?
1: Honestly, I'm thinking and scratching my head about The first piece that I saw myself appropriately represented in, Mm -hmm. I would say many times where I saw myself inappropriately represented, soap operas, for example, which when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s were a big deal. And what you saw in the soap operas was people being cured all the time. Yeah, And um, it really wasn't until many years later that I started to see some real disabled people because even when disabled people have been depicted, not in the distant past, that people were mainly non-disabled. And I knew that. Mm -hmm. So there's a film called Coming Home, which came out in the 70s, which is about a disabled veteran. And John Voight and Jane Fonda are in that film. And I didn't know John Boyd at that time. I was in Berkeley at the Center for Independent Living and then found out that he was a non-disabled person. And they also were showing the film in an inaccessible movie theater. Wow. So we had demonstrations outside of the movie theater. So I believe asking this question to younger people, they will see characters, read about characters. Mm -hmm. Right now, there are a whole bunch of obviously many more disabled people who are out there or in various forms of media, but in my five-year-old, 20, 25-year-old, I really don't have an answer, in a, a positive answer.
0: Right. Then can you think of maybe when was the first time that you did see something positive?
1: Drunk History did a piece and uh, Ali Stroker played me in that Drunk History piece on 504. And basically all of the actors in that piece had disabilities. And that to me is one of the strongest pieces that I've seen where everyone had a disability right you know Ali Stroker a number of deaf performers
0: yeah and that was pretty recent (laughs)
1: that was very recent yeah really Well, see Glee when Glee came out there was a, a young person in a wheelchair at that point you know I was older and I wasn't watching Glee but when I heard there was a disabled character in it I was watching Glee Later to learn out that the character didn't really have a disability.
0: The actor, yeah.
1: No, and that's, I think, also when Allie came into Glee and a young woman with Down syndrome, high school student came in. So the question being, when did I see myself? That means to me, when did I see someone using a wheelchair, a woman, a girl Mm -hmm. using the wheelchair? And it's very, very recent.
0: Right. Well, thank you, Queen Katrina, for this thought provoking question. It really took Judy some thinking and reflecting on our life to come with an answer. And for anybody listening, if you have a question for Judy that you'd like her to answer in a future episode, please send it to media at judithhuman.com, or you can DM Judy's accounts on Instagram and Twitter.
1: That history won't forget us or try to minimize our pain.
0: Thanks for tuning in to The Human Perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow Judy on Twitter at judithhuman and on Instagram and Facebook at The Human Perspective. If you want to find out more information about this episode's guest or resources relating to the discussion, check out the description of this episode or visit judithhuman.com. You can also find a shortened video version of this interview on Judy's YouTube channel, dropping a week after this podcast is published. Otherwise, be sure to check back every other Wednesday for a new podcast episode. The intro music for The Human Perspective is Dragon, which is produced and performed by Lachi, Yontero, and Warren. The outro music is I Wait by Galen Lee.